Thanks, you guys. That was amazing. I actually asked them to play that song. And as I heard them playing it, I felt this desire to dance. And then this feeling like, can you sing that in church? I feel good. Like, I spent the whole last month wrestling with this question. Does Christianity, this kind of tradition, this religion, celebrate pleasure? Like that kind of pleasure. I was asking people all week, hey, hey, you know, <laughs> it's like random person on the street. Hey, how's it going? My name is Vince. Hey, do you think that Christianity celebrates pleasure? People are like, Pfft. Adam was funny. He's like, I grew up Catholic. Everything was bad. It's bad. Everything's like, you're bad. You're doing, whatever you're doing is bad. If you like it, it's bad. One person, my favorite answer was, I was like, hey, honest question. Does Christianity celebrate pleasure? They just started laughing in my face. I thought I was the only one who grew up with this tradition this way. I thought you all were different than me. You're not. There's this... (laughs) If we look at kind of the the way Christianity has been portrayed, often the comics show us insight into things, don't they? And one of the comics that I like is the writer of Sign, or, or sorry, Simpsons. Anyone know the Simpsons? Anyone know Ned Flanders? You know the character? I named this message after Ned Flanders. He's got this great quote. Him and uh, Homer are talking. Can you throw up the quote for me, Esmond? Homer says, Flanders, why did you call the cops on me last night? Ned, I had to. I heard a hubbub. Homer says, what did I do? Well, I can't say for sure, but if you were laughing or having fun in any way, I'm sure it was bad because I'm a Christian. Anything that sounds good is bad. Isn't that a great quote? (laughs) But as a Christian, I assume the worst. (laughs) If you feel good, it's probably bad. Where do we get this from? I was reading a book. It's um, a book around female sexuality. It's a book called Pure. Uh, Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Freeze. So just after my generation, there was a generation of Christian teenagers who were taught a certain way of being a Christian. And it was tied to their sexuality. The entire, one of the quotes in the book, I I didn't write it down, but they said, all I knew about Christianity was I wasn't supposed to be sexual in any way before I was married. I didn't know anything else. That's all I knew. I thought that was the be-all and end-all. And as I read this book, I thought, oh, this is interesting. A bunch of people who got really messed up wasn't me. You know, I escaped that problem. Flipping through it, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, wait a second. Yeah, sexuality was villainized. Premarital sexuality was especially villainized. Any sexuality that wasn't tied to relationship, marriage, was extremely villainized. But something happened in the minds of these girls. Something happened that I think is tied to the same question. Does Christianity celebrate pleasure? One lady, her name is Holly. Can you throw up the quote for me, Esmond? 
She says this, I didn't even know what happiness was. That was pleasure in her mind. Happiness was a sign that you're on the wrong path. Because if you're happy, things were too easy. And things are only too easy when you're giving into your sinful nature. That's bad. If we wanted to be holy, if we wanted to be a good Christian, I was going to have to struggle. So you have to be struggling and suffering constantly. There is no happiness. There is no peace. She says, and this is the thing that got me. She says, things have been going really well for both me and my husband lately, which has filled me with a sense of dread. Now we can look at that and go, okay, that's pretty extreme. Crazy. And yet there's a flavor of that inside of me. Is there a flavor of that inside of you? Christianity and happiness and joy and pleasure. Now, when I talked to people, they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Happiness is good as long as you're doing it as like a family gathering. That kind of happiness is good as long as you're not dancing. I grew up Mennonite, so there's no dancing. Moving your body. You saw me. I can tap my finger. That's about as much as I got in me. Sometimes I can shake my hips. Can you see them moving right now? Someone asked you if they see me dancing. This is me dancing. But we have these other ideas. Sitting down. Enjoying a good drink. Connecting to things that are pleasurable How do we feel about them? Do we feel like spirituality, this whole character of the divine is celebrating this? Or does it kind of feel like, well, no, the Ten Commandments are all about denial. Thou shalt not. Most of what we think about in the Christian tradition is thou shalt not. Deny. Repress. Suffer. It's really troubling. I thought I'd transcend to this. I was saying to Justin, he, worked, he runs our stream team, he's just in the back. I said, it's kind of like I feel like I'm on this road and there's a ditch next to me. And if I'm really paying attention, I can stay on the road. But the second I don't pay attention, I fall into this ditch of like, yeah, but it's all about, you know, if it feels too good or if I like it too much, it's separate from my spirituality. It's not part of my spirituality. And my question is this, how did we lose that? <laughs> Actually, you're probably looking at me and going, uh, duh, Vince, do you know anything about Christianity? It's never been there. Christianity has always been about absence of pleasure, about denial, about thou shalt not. You shouldn't do this. If it feels good, don't do it. It's probably bad. As I read through our tradition, that's not the case. There's stories, commandments, books dedicated to pleasure. Thou shalt have fun. Thou shalt feel good. One of my favorite ones is a story from Jesus. Uh, Again, I'm a Bible geek, so let me just break it down. There's four books that talk about Jesus primarily. Mark, Luke, Matthew, John. Mark, we think, has been written early. And in the story of Mark, our earliest 
our earliest references to Jesus, there's a story. It says, Jesus sends out his, his students and says, okay, go out and live this, preach this, talk to this about people, about a way of living that makes your world around you better. And the story starts when they come back. Okay, after a long, hard day, what's your favorite thing to do at home? Anyone have like a favorite chair that they sit in? I like there's a couch. I like the left side of the couch. The cat's on the right. I'm on the left. I just want to plunk on the couch, turn on the TV. Anyone? Favorite drink? Favorite? Anyone, those people who take off their clothes, their outside clothes, and put on their inside comfies? You want to put up your hand on that one? Anyone? Oh, you could, a lot of y'all. <laughs> What's up with that? Why don't you just wear like comfy clothes all uh, Anyways, that's a separate issue. So Jesus says, as his students come back, he's like, hey, sit down. Put on your comfy clothes. Pour yourself a favorite drink. Let's just relax for a time. Put up our feet. Do nothing. That sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? I'm thinking after this, I'm going to go home and follow Jesus' words and sit down and put my feet up and crack open a cider. Now, here's the interesting part. The book we call Matthew and Luke had a copy, or we believe they had a copy of Mark. And so what they did is they copied sections of it. But when they copied this section, guess what they took out? They never copied. The part around pleasure. The students came back, and they jumped right back into work. Now, I know we're all like, we like a good conspiracy. And I've just sprinkled a little uh, conspiracy theory here that, like, they took it out deliberately. I don't know why they did it. No one knows why they did it. But our earliest records say after a long, hard day, have pleasure. That's kind of profound, isn't it? Have you ever heard a sermon or a talk about that section? what it looks like after a long, hard day, what recharges you, what's your favorite thing to do. There's another one. Do you guys remember? So I'm going to backtrack about 2,000 years. There's this story about the nation of Israel being in Egypt, and they're slaves. And they get away by this kind of crazy story of a sea gets parted, the parting of the Red Sea. Anyone heard this kind of wackadoodle? You know what I'm talking about. At the end of the, the, the Red Sea, it closes and kills everyone, which we don't celebrate because that's really bad. But <laughs> they're on the other side, and this is what happens. Miriam, they call her a prophet, so she's like somebody who's really, really important. She grabs, again, death has happened, but let's just think of the positive side of it. She grabs a tambourine and starts to party. We're free. We're not slaves. Now, in my church growing up, this is how it would look. Our lives have been saved. Amen. That would be the celebration. <laughs> no, no, you didn't miss it, Trevor. You nailed it. Anyone else have that? To be too excited to celebrate too big, that's not quite right. That's not how we do it. Miriam is dancing and just ripping it up. David, one of the kings later, it said he danced so hard in celebration one time, his daughter was embarrassed of him. Now, fathers, you know how this works. 
It actually says he stripped, and I'm going to put it in English, he stripped down to his gitch and just like ripped it up, like dancing as hard as he can to celebrate his pleasure. Something good happens, and he dances his butt off. How did we miss this? There's a book called Song of Songs. You know I'm going here. I'm not going to go into it deeply. But it's a book about two unmarried people who are completely hot for each other. It's about sex with each other. It's about lusting after each other. It's about solo sex. It's nothing but pleasure. The word God is never mentioned. The word Jesus is never mentioned. The word Paul is never mentioned. Two people in pleasure. How many sermons have you heard on that one? Outside of French church. (laughs) How did we lose all of this? Thou shalt not feels natural and spiritual. Thou shalt lust. That's not right. Thou shalt feel good. Thou shalt dance. One writer, so the series is based around this concept of wisdom. We have this whole genre of wisdom in the Bible. It's living well. One of the main authors in the wisdom tradition says this. Can you throw it up for me, Esmond? So I concluded there's nothing better. So (laughs) background of the story, he's rich. He can do whatever he wants, and he does whatever he wants. He goes on like a bender, a debauchery bender. And he says this, so I conclude there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are the gifts of God. Pleasure is the point. Pleasure is the point of our spiritual journeys, according to him. His conception of God, and it's a him, unfortunately, sorry, people. His thought, his conception of God is, All pleasure is made by God. You enjoy something, that's divine. Something feels good in your body. You eat something, you wear something that feels good, that's created by God. You sit outside and you enjoy the birds chirping, created by God. You have sex with somebody, created by God. This does not square with my Mennonite background, just so you know. As I'm preaching this, I feel this kind of twinge inside that's like, yes, but maybe a little bit no. So where does the no come from, right? Like, I could keep going. In fact, I had like 10 minutes on the Song of Songs, and my coach was like, Vince, I think you made your point, buddy. I was like, oh, no, I got more to do here. Come on. It's uncomfortable. Because somehow suffering and denial and spirituality feel more connected. And pleasure and desire and all this stuff feels like, eh, this is wrong. Where does that come from? It's not part of our, tr- our tradition. The Bible over and over again talks about pleasure and the beauty of pleasure and how it's part of our spirituality. I realized a while ago, maybe 2003, I was watching a movie. Did anyone see The Da Vinci Code? You know, with uh, Tom Hanks? Crazy movie. But I realized there's something in that movie that I think is tied into all of this. 
If you remember in the movie, it starts with a monk holding a gun. It's a bit odd. Monks don't often hold guns in my head. And he's, he's having a conversation with an old guy in an art gallery. And at, at the end, he shoots the old guy. I'm like, it's all about this. He's trying to get a secret from him, the Da Vinci Code. Sorry. No. <laughs> I misspoke. He's trying to get a secret out of them, the Holy Grail. Now, in the movie, the Holy Grail is not a grail, like a cup, like Indiana Jones. The grail is a secret. And the secret is Jesus and Mary Magdalene were together. They had sex together, and they had a child. And the lineage of that child is the secret that they've been holding. That's the Holy Grail. And as the movie kind of does one of these, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, whoa, Jesus had sex. We can't have that, blah, blah, blah. What happens next is what I want to show you. Because that monk, his name is Silas, referencing a biblical character. The very next scene we see him, his robes are off and he's naked. He's standing in front of a mirror and the camera's behind him. And you can see his back. It's like got all these welts on it. Like someone beat him. You're like, what is that all about? And then he says this line. He says, I chastise my body. Then he picks up a whip. And he goes like this. And swims the whip around and slashes his back. You see fresh welts start out. Blood trickling down. I was going to go to a sex shop and buy a whip for you guys. But I ran out of time. Dirt biking went long. I was like, oh, crap, the stores are closed. So my apologies. Next time I'll prop it up. Okay, but no, back to the part where he's whipping himself. Like, it's really bad. He's whipping himself. Like, just beating himself. And you see him, like, it's not like, oh, this feels nice. It's like his whole body is cringing. And then you see he's got this thing. It's called a Silas. So his name is Silas. Sorry, it's called a Silas. It's, um, it's kind of like a chain bracelet that he wears around his leg. And he, he undoes the clasp, and you realize it's so tight into his leg that he has to pull the chain out of his skin. And as he's pulling it out, there's blood dripping down his leg. And he, he puts it on the other side and then ratches it down. And you can see it dig in and the blood flow out of his leg. And then he looks up and he crosses himself. And you realize this is not punishment for shooting somebody. This is how he expresses his spirituality. This is what Christian looks like to him. The flesh, his body, is a thing that needs to be tamed. His flesh, his body, needs to be suppressed. The desires of the flesh are bad. They're not spiritual. And so we get this sense of the spirit is things that are not tied to the pleasure in our body. Thou shalt not. He just takes it way further than I grew up with. But in the extreme nature, I realize, oh, maybe that's why our connection between spirituality and pleasure is a little funky. Somehow, 
that's trickled into our minds. If it feels good, it's probably bad. If my body wants it, it's probably bad. Can you throw up the quote from Paul for me, Esmond? We get this from Paul, one of the writers. He's after Jesus, probably one of the persons who shaped the Christian tradition more than anybody. He writes this. If you live pursuing the flesh, see how literally this is? Flesh. If you live pursuing the flesh, you will die. But if you, through the Spirit, destroying the desires of the flesh, you will live. If you destroy the desires of the flesh, you will live. If you like a coffee, you destroy that. If dancing feels good in your body, you destroy that. If sexuality is something that feels good to you, you destroy that. If wearing something that feels good, you destroy that. You destroy all the things that the body wants because then you're spiritual. The tradition of that time is called dualism. Whatever is of the spirit is good. Whatever the flesh is bad. How much of that has trickled into our lives? Because I don't know about you, but it's definitely trickled into mine. Now, as soon as I do this, my, I can hear my Sunday school teacher. I grew up going to Sunday, well, getting kicked out of Sunday school, but like, I was there some of the time. I grew up partially in Sunday school. And my teacher always taught this, there was this kind of idea. If you ever stop, like, if you open yourself up even the hairiest little bit to pleasures of the flesh, you're just going to go off the deep end. Anyone have that kind of treatment? It's like the slippery slope argument. If you feel anything good inside of your body, the next thing you're going to do is just like you're going to be like debaucherous and like completely over the edge and like not go to work, just sit and eat cake all day and like you're never going to do anything other than pursue hedonism. And so I have this kind of knee-jerk, well, if pleasure, it's going to go off the deep end, right? So I thought, what if, we, what if we just be rational here for a moment and put this conversation in a framework? Things to, to constrain pleasure. Not because it's wrong, but because pleasure constrained seems to work better, right? So for example... I think probably a framework we use is this. If doing things that are very illegal brings you pleasure, you should probably think twice about it. Fair? Driving 250 kilometers down the Deerfoot in your sports car, probably not a good idea. It's going to give you pleasure. There's nothing wrong with the pleasure. It's just the ticket's going to be very unpleasurable. Didn't know what it was. There's somebody in the news. Somebody had done twice the speed limit on some road. Like, again, the ticket. Impounding cars. So first, if it's illegal, think twice. Second thing, can you throw it up for me? I just can't remember the next one. Oh yeah, can I afford it? This is a great one. Me and my wife do this all the time. One of us will talk about something. She'll, my wife has the, like, the most wicked shoe collection in the history of the world. I challenge you, anyone who thinks you have a better shoe collection, come talk to me. It won't happen. So she'll, she'll show me these new shoes, and she doesn't need them, but she's these shoes, and you can just tell, like, she is like, these are beautiful. Should I get them? Now, if I fall into the rut, it's like, well... But if I'm honest, I go, do they bring you pleasure? Yeah, they do. 
Can you afford them? Yes, I can. Then let's go to the store. If you can afford it, why not? If you can't afford it, okay, probably not a good idea, but if you can afford it, why not say yes if it brings pleasure? Unless somehow denial is more spiritual, and so we're always like, oh, no, I can't have that. And if I buy those shoes, I'm going to buy 100 pairs of shoes, and then I'm going to be you know, homeless and just surrounded by my shoes. I'll, you know. Can you throw up the next one for me, Esmond? Can I afford it? Is it ethical? Is my pleasure coming at the expense of somebody else's pleasure? Am I hurting somebody by my pleasure? That's pretty straightforward, right? Are the things being made ethically that I want to buy? Is my interaction with another person that's pleasurable? Is it consensual? Is it ethical? You see how as we constrain this kind of common sense-wise, we're like, oh yeah, this kind of makes some sense. Here's my favorite one. Can you throw up the next one for me? Does it balance immediate and long-term pleasure? Now, you're probably thinking, Vince is just going to talk about focusing on long-term pleasure. Yes. I'm a big fan of cider, you know. Village cider, fantastic cider. But if I drink one at night, I tend to sleep a little bit like this. I, kinda, I don't get into a deep sleep. And so the next morning when my alarm goes off early, I can feel that and I wake up and I'm not super rested. And so I go, okay, short-term versus long-term pleasure. But if I have nothing up that day, why the heck not? But the other side is probably more important because the denial for long-term feels spiritual, doesn't it? I don't know if you knew this, but there was a time in my life that I was a bit crazy. I was into long running. So I used to run, my longest race was, I ran 100 miles in one race. It's a long race, right? So it, takes, it took me 28 hours to do it. So I ran for 28 hours straight. And at the end of the 28 hours, I remember crossing the finish line. My wife's there, my friend's there. I plunked down on a uh, picnic bench. There's a lady cutting watermelon. And she was like, going to give me these dainty little slices? I was like, no, no, give me an entire thing. And I literally took this thing, this thing, and I just started like chowing down on it. There is juice running all over my body. I couldn't care less. I wasn't running, and there was something cold going into my body. I denied everything for two and a half years so that I could have that moment of pleasure. For two and a half years, all I thought was, how much do I need to eat today? Do I need to rest today? Oh no, I can't do that, I need to run tomorrow. Oh, I can't do that, I need to run tomorrow. Oh, I can't do that, I'm running tomorrow. Oh, I can't do that, I just ran for six hours today, I'm exhausted, I can't do that. How much of our lives are focused on long-term pleasure and denying immediate pleasure. Think about it. You're like, I'm going to go on holidays in a year. I want a beach body, so I'm going to be able to take my shirt off and look amazing. We will deny everything for a year for one moment where we take our shirt off. Now, I'm not here to tell you what's the right answer. But I'm here to say it's worth thinking deeply about the balance between immediate pleasure and long-term pleasure. If you grew up in my tradition, it was all about long-term pleasure. When you die, you're going to go to heaven. Deny everything so you can get that reward. That's not what our Christian tradition talks about. The last one I think, Esmond, is, yeah, if you're an addict, if that's something that you identify with, 
Whenever we talk about pleasure, this is tricky if it's connected to your addiction. So for any addicts in the room, any 12-steppers, think deeply. To have an addiction means that your connection between something and pleasure is a complex thing. And so unfortunately, you need to think long and hard before you use a pleasure that's connected to your addiction. I started this message with, I feel good. We went through this process of going, wait a second, what is our relationship between spirituality and pleasure? Is it robust? Is it beautiful? Is it connected? Or is it pleasure and denial? Denial is more spiritual than pleasure. Oh, we can have certain pleasures, family gatherings, that's okay. Getting together for drinks, depending on which tradition you're from. What does it look like? We explored that our tradition doesn't seem focused only on denial. Yeah, there is denial there, and there's been times when denial has been healthy in my life. But there is huge parts of our tradition that say, what is joy in your life? What brings joy? What brings happiness? What feels good? Dare I say, what feels good sexually? Where are you in what I'm calling a theology of pleasure. Your connection between the Christian tradition or your conception of God or anything and pleasure, things that feel good. Is that connected in your head or are you kind of like me? No, they're kind of separate and I'm not sure they play well together. I hope what I've been able to do though today is to show you that denial is not the only part of our tradition that maybe the most spiritual thing for us to do this summer is to ask this question, what would bring more pleasure in this moment? As part of our spiritual practice. Have you ever thought that? I sent a note to my friend. I was talking about this message. I got a message back. She's, uh, she's like, oh, my daughter forgot her lunch. I think that's a really annoying thing for parents. I don't really have kids, but she had to drive the kids' lunch. You know, it was already made for them. The kid just forgot. She has to drive across the city to drop the lunch off at the kid's school. Annoying. She's like, on my way home, I stopped by some wild gardens to pick wild lettuce, and I made the most kick-ass salad. Added more pleasure to the moment. That's pretty cool, huh? A little while ago, me and my wife were chatting. You're sitting on the couch. I was like, let's go outside and chat in the fresh air. That was when we had fresh air. In the sun, in the fresh air. I drove dirt biking. I went dirt biking yesterday, and I, I drove. Uh, buddies were camping in McLean Creek, and I pulled into their campsite in the morning, and it was just the sound of nature. I was like, oh, that sound, being out here, that brings pleasure. Have you ever woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to get dressed. What will bring me the most pleasure today in what I wear? As part of my spiritual practice. So I'm going to leave you with that final question today. This summer, because again, summer is different. We're all over the place. You know, there's people here who often are here now camping, whatever it looks like. What if every day you woke up and said, as my spiritual journey today, I'm going to ask myself that question that that wisdom writer wrote. 
what could I add to this moment that would bring me more pleasure? And if you feel an inner resistance to it, be like, okay. I'm still feeling that whole Christianity denial thing. That's okay. I'm not there yet. And some of us might be able to say, actually, no. This would bring more pleasure. Or this. Doing this. Being in this space. Driving this car really fast. As we finish today, have that question in your mind. Ask yourself every morning, what could I do in this moment that would add more pleasure as a spiritual practice? How do I feel good? Amen? This is the part where you take a tambourine and dance your butts off. You know that, right? Next week, Jeff's up. He's going to talk about um, the wisdom. So this whole series about living well. We talked, you know, first week was about this connection between each other when we see similarities. Then Jeff did a great message last week on, like, in the moment, what is your attention on? Today, it's about where is pleasure? How do you bring more pleasure into your life? Next week, it's how do you live more connected to self? It's going to be a good one. Have a great week, everyone. Don't breathe deep, but have a good time. <laughs>